Well, it's good to be together again here in this house of the Lord. And uh, we've had some beautiful weather for the Thanksgiving season, and we can be thankful for that as well as a lot of other things. But uh, <clears throat> it isn't going to stay that way for long, but, uh, <laughs> but it was nice while it lasted. And uh, appreciate all of y'all being here tonight. This is <clears throat> something that we... Uh, we just, I think, need to be aware that we've known very good times in our life, especially people like me that uh, date back uh, in the 80s. Uh, life has really been wonderful in this country. And oh, that we could keep it that way. But it hasn't stayed that way. And uh, I just wanted to share a message on how important it is to have an adequate trust in God in our hearts and in our lives. It appears, uh, and uh, Brother Greg mentioned that this morning in his message, he thinks that we are already in to the beginning of the last days. And I certainly agree with him. I feel that way about it too. I remember when the disciples asked Jesus after he had talked about Jerusalem being destroyed someday and they're not being left one stone on top of another of the temple. And uh, they asked him then, uh, Lord, when's that going to happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the world? And Jesus gave them an answer. And it's recorded in uh, Matthew chapter 24 where Jesus said, uh, don't be deceived. He said, there will be many that will come and claim that I am the anointed one. So go with me and I've got the answers and uh, we'll make the right kind of moves and so forth. Don't be deceived by that, Jesus said. But he said there's going to be wars and rumors of wars. Nations will rise against nations and kingdoms against kingdoms. But don't be discouraged because the end is not yet. I don't think I've ever known in my lifetime is that there are as many wars and rumors of wars as there are going on right now. And so that's one of the reasons I think that we could uh, consider that we may be already into those last days. It also says that there will be famines. And I know that in uh, all of our missionary work, a lot of what we do is to feed people who are starving because of lack of food, helping them to get clean water because they're dying of diseases because they don't have clean water. There are a lot of those going on right now, a lot of famines in this world. We're trying to help. This is Lottie Moon offering time of the year and uh, what we give to help in that offering will help to do those kind of things for people that are in conditions of famine. But he also said there will be pestilences. You know, we just uh, went through a, a time of real concern about AIDS and the spread of AIDS. Now here we are with Ebola and uh, concerns all, all the time. We hear about it in the news and, and over the television and radio about concerns about not wanting people to come here unless they've been thoroughly screened to make sure they don't carry some of that Ebola. So, yeah, we're having pestilences. That's not the only one. There are others that are just uh, even more widespread than that. Uh, sexually transmitted diseases are just all over the place, and so we, we're, we're in those times, and uh, Jesus described them. And so uh, I wanted to just let you know it's important we get ready for more difficult times. It doesn't help when they say a, 
a hurricane's coming, it doesn't help to say, well, I'll wait till it gets here and then I'll try to get ready. We have enough knowledge and enough wisdom in Louisiana, don't we, that uh, when they say a hurricane's coming, we know we better get ready in advance because it'll be too late if you wait until the thing hits. And uh, uh, I'll never forget the first time I went through a hurricane in North Carolina, stationed over there. Uh, I did all those things they said you're supposed to do to prepare for a hurricane. Uh, and then Hurricane Helen came through. It hit the coast real bad with uh, a lot of uh, destructive waves and surfs. But uh, inland, where we lived, it was just <laughs> a little extra wind and rain. And I, I thought, good grief. I did all of that, and there was really no need for it. I don't think I'll ever do that again. But then not too many years afterward, Hurricane Andrew came through, and I saw what kind of destruction it could do. And, and I realized, boy, I'm glad I did what I did. It could have been one of those kind. So you don't ever know. You've got to prepare in advance. And so that's why I wanted to speak tonight about preparing in advance for the things that probably are coming ahead that we're going to be facing. We can learn lessons from history, and we need to learn lessons from history. The, uh, the Bible is given to us so that we can understand how things have gone in the past and what things worked and what things uh, worked for good and what things worked for bad. Uh, and so I wanted to just... Uh, go through a little bit of what we can learn from, from the history given to us in the Bible. Uh, <clears throat> how are we going to handle these difficult times if we're living into them? How are we going to handle it? And uh, we can learn from the history that the Bible gives us in the Old Testament. God gave those to us for a purpose so that we could uh, benefit from knowing what to do and what not to do. Uh, I think about Joshua. When uh, God was going to relieve his people from the bondage that they were experiencing down in Egypt, he sent Moses down there to, uh, to prepare for their departure and to lead them out of there and into the promised land. And uh, one of the men that, uh, young men that teamed up with him, uh, evidently from the very beginning, he seemed to recognize that God sent this man and God is speaking through this man and I'm going to stick with this man. And so Joshua got with him and stayed with him as a helper any way that he could. And the further along they went, the more important uh, he was to Moses. When the Amalekites attacked them on the way to the Promised Land, uh, Moses appointed Joshua to be the, the general of the army, to get the army together and go out and do battle against the Amalekites that are trying to uh, tear us to pieces. And uh, you, you know the story how that uh, when uh, Moses went up on the hill to watch the battle and uh, hold up the rod of God in his hand, and while the rod was up, uh, Joshua and his army were winning when he got tired and let the rod down. Then the other team, the Amalekites, were winning. And so uh, uh, he had Aaron and her up there with him, so they both helped hold him up, hold his arm up, and they won the battle. Well, that's just a little bit about what kind of a man Joshua was. Uh, <clears throat> Moses was not allowed to go into the Promised Land because uh, he made a big mistake uh, that had to do with prophecy about Jesus. Uh, he had been told when they were out of water and didn't know where to find water, going through the desert on the way to the promised land, God told him, go to this rock and hit it with your rod and water will come gushing out. So he did that. And sure enough, that's what God did. He provided ample water. It became like a river coming out of there. Well, <clears throat> later on, uh, they ran into a similar situation and, uh, and God told Moses, speak to the rock. And it will give water for you and your people. Well, Moses by then was so irritated 
with all this griping and complaining that he'd been hearing from the, the people of Israel. And, uh, and so he was just kind of <laughs> fed up and uh, really on the edge of, of uh, severe anger, and he went and hit the rock again. And he shouldn't have done that because that was a symbol of Jesus. That uh, The Bible says in the New Testament <clears throat> that as they were going through their journey through the wilderness, that uh, they received water from the rock, and that rock was Christ. And so <clears throat> he had to be smitten. Jesus had to be smitten once, but he was never to be smitten again. He'd, once, once when he died for us, that's all that he ever was to have to experience something like that. And yet Moses had given the picture that he's going to have to do it again. And so Moses couldn't go into the promised land. So uh, he died before they actually got to the point of crossing over into that land. And Joshua now was put in charge. So uh, as you read through the book of Joshua, you see how that uh, Joshua was a wonderful leader. He did exactly what God told him. He trusted that that was the right thing to do. It was the, uh, the victorious thing to do. And so they... Uh, they went in, they first conquered Jericho, which was a <clears throat> strongly, <clears throat> strongly defensed <clears throat> and, and fenced in uh, city. They conquered that because of doing what God told them to do. The walls just fell down flat, and they were able to go in and, and uh, just completely conquer that place. Uh, and as they pursued on conquering through the promised land, uh, <clears throat> they kind of, I guess... Uh, just uh, decided they got a little, little lackadaisical about their job. They were supposed to drive these people out, and yet they got to thinking, well, some of these folks don't look too bad, and uh, we could use them for servants and, uh, and gatherers of wood and diggers of wells and stuff like that. So, so they didn't drive them all out. There's some places they did and some places they didn't. And so uh, this happened to be the... I guess you'd say the disease that got into that nation through the idolatrous practices of those people they allowed to stay there. They got to see in what they did and what they believed and, and they could do some fun things that God didn't let them do and, and they began to drift a little bit away from God and a little bit more into the things that were fun and, and enjoyable to them. And uh, so at the end of, of the book of Joshua, we find uh, in Joshua uh, chapter 24, the uh, end, of that, end of that verse, uh, he was saying to the people, they were getting ready to go and take the land now that belonged to them. They had conquered the people there, and it was, the division was announced, and so he was ready to send them to go and take over what's your part, tribe by tribe. It said, and he said to them, if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you're going to serve. You make your choice. If you want to go with these other things, then that's your choice. But he said, There's, our fathers served other gods on the other side of the Euphrates River. If you want to go back to that, that's your choice. And, uh, and you've got to make a choice. So this is the, the time to do it. You're going to go and take over your land. Make your choice. Who are you going to serve? But then he concluded uh, by saying, As for me... And my house, we're going to serve the Lord, Jehovah. And so he sent them out on their way. Well, <clears throat> they went out and, and they took their places. And, uh, and there's a good, uh, a good uh, passage that talks about Joshua's influence on that nation. 
and the speech that he made to them when he sent them out in Joshua in Judges uh, chapter 2 verse 7 uh, it says the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua who had seen all the great works of the Lord that he did for Israel so uh, Joshua's influence not only lasted through his life but it lasted on through the lives of people that had been through the same things and outlived him a little bit well <clears throat> Wasn't that wonderful that Joshua had that kind of an influence on that nation? And uh, as long as he was there to be God's spokesman and God's leader, uh, the people followed him. They realized that that's the right thing to do. Choices are so important. I was uh, uh, had a, a little uh, writing that was shared with me this past week uh, about choices. And uh, it said, in, in essence, it said... Uh, if you make good choices, you're going to get good results. If you make bad choices, you're going to get bad results. And you better think about your choices. And uh, bad choices develop bad character. Good choices develop good character. And so it's important what we choose. And Joshua realized that, and he told them, this is an important time for you, so you choose who you're going to serve. But as for me and my house, we're going to serve Jehovah God. And so they all decided to do the same. But then it goes on to tell us a little later in the book of Judges, <clears throat> in, uh, in chapter 10, that these people had lost the lessons of history. They had that kind of history prior to, to this time, but now they kind of forgot it and just uh, went off and left it. Uh, in, uh, in that same book of Judges, uh, beginning with verse 10, uh, it said, after all that generation were gathered unto their fathers, there arose another generation after them who didn't know the Lord, nor yet the works which he had done for Israel. When I was stationed in, uh, in Hawaii at uh, Pearl Harbor, there was uh, the admiral there who was in charge of all the naval forces in the Pacific and he came to our chapel very regularly. He was there just about every Sunday. Well, he did a good job, and so they <laughs> were going to promote him to be the naval representative on the, uh, on the American chief of staff, military chief of staff. And so he was going to be moving to Washington to take that post. But his last Sunday, we gave him a chance to say, if, is there anything you want to say before you leave? And he, this is what he said. He said, <clears throat> we need to be careful about gathering together like this and learning more and more about God and his word because he said in one generation Christianity can be lost in America in just one generation. Well, that happened back there. We should learn from that. And yet it seems to be happening to us. From about 50 years ago, we began drifting away from God's principles and standards, began thinking that, what do they know about anything? This is what we like to do, so let's do that. And so that began to be a drift away in our own land. Well, <clears throat> the Bible goes on to say in that same uh, book of Judges, chapter 2, <clears throat> that God gave them judges. That was the name of the book, and it says that God gave them judges in uh, verses 16 through 18. Uh, <clears throat> It says, nevertheless, because of these things, they'd left 
uncleared when they moved in, because of those, the influence of those people, uh, God's blessing wasn't on them like it could have been. And so it says, Nevertheless, the Lord raised up judges who delivered them out of the hand of those who despoiled them. And yet they would not hearken unto their judges, but they went whoring after other gods and bowed themselves unto them. They turned quickly out of the way which God, which their fathers had walked in, obeying the, <clears throat> when they were obeying the commandments of the Lord, but they did not so, the, the younger generation. <clears throat> Pardon me. And when the Lord raised them up judges, then the Lord was with the judge and delivered them out of the hand of their enemies all the days of the judges. For the Lord was moved to repent because of their groanings by reason of those who oppressed them and vexed them. So <clears throat> God is still giving them a chance. They lost <clears throat> the lesson of history, <clears throat> but uh, <clears throat> God gave them some more leaders that uh, would help them get back on the right path and keep them on the right path. Well, I'd have to say that what, what they were prone to do, our nation has also been prone to do, sadly. I remember what Arnold Toynbee said. I think I've used this <clears throat> numbers of times, but <clears throat> he said, man learns one thing from history, and that is that man seems to learn nothing from history. That's a shame, isn't it? <clears throat> We've got all this history to learn from, not only in the Bible, but in our own land, and yet we don't seem to have learned anything from it. We seem to think, oh, but we can make it better. Oh, we've got a better plan. It's going to be a lot better this way. And so we don't remember how things worked out when they made bad choices like that. Well, <clears throat> even in the worst of times, God has a plan for us who are his people. And I want you to know that, <clears throat> that just like he did back there, he had a plan that worked for people who would listen people who would do uh, what he's leading them to do. And so <clears throat> I want to move now to a passage in, uh, <clears throat> in Isaiah. <clears throat> and, uh, <clears throat> well, in conclusion of, of uh, the book of Judges, at the very last verse of the book of Judges, God had this to say through the writer of that book in uh, <clears throat> Judges chapter 21, verse 25. Uh, <clears throat> if we can get that one up on the screen, please. And uh, if not, I can get it. Uh, maybe I didn't give it on my outline. Anyway, <clears throat> at the end of the chapter, <clears throat> at the end of the book of Judges, it says, In those days there was no king in Israel, Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. Now, <clears throat> there was a king. They just didn't recognize the king. God was their king. And when they later asked for a king, that's what God said. You've had a king all this time. You just don't listen to him all the time. And uh, that's the way it went at the end of the book of Judges. They said, uh, we're going to do what's right in our own eyes. Isn't that what we're being uh, trying to be persuaded to do is... Uh, don't be uh, intolerant of other people and what they do. If they think it's right, well, then it's probably right for them to do that. Just let them do it. Don't be intolerant. So people get on us Christians because we, we say, no, it's supposed to be like this. We talk about 
marriage is supposed to be the way God intended it, a man and a woman uh, in a commitment to each other for life. That's the way it's supposed to be. And yet uh, we're supposed to be tolerant of total departures from that and, uh, and accept marriage of uh, same-sex marriages and, and all of this uh, crazy stuff. We're supposed to accept all that and be tolerant of all that. And nobody's tolerant of us that <laughs> we, we have history on our side but uh, they think we're the intolerant ones. Well, uh, how are we going to handle this? Well, in, in Psalm 27 and verse 14, I think that there's a, a very good instruction for us there. It says, wait on the Lord. Be of good courage, and he will strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. That's good advice. That means trust in the Lord is basically what that's saying. Just trust him. Do it like he says, and... Uh, let him make it work out the way that is best for us. Do it his way. Wait on the Lord. Trust in him. You'll have courage then. You'll have strength. So wait on the Lord, that, that, that verse in Psalm says. Well, there's a verse in, uh, in Isaiah. It's my favorite passage in the Bible. And I wanted to just close with uh, that passage in Isaiah chapter 40 and the last two verses. It says that the time was going to come back there when even the youths were going to faint and be weary and young men were going to utterly fall. But they that wait on the Lord will renew their strength. And that's exactly what that psalm was telling us to do. To wait on the Lord, trust in Him, and He will renew your strength even if it gets really rough going and you feel like Man, I'm just about ready to give up on this. Uh, God will renew your strength. And so as we enter into maybe more and more tough times, we can count on this promise that uh, if we'll wait on the Lord, he will renew our strength. He'll give us what we need. And so it goes on to say that not only will he renew our strength, but we will mount up with wings as eagles. Does that mean we're supposed to fly? Uh, <laughs> people supposed to fly? No, that, that was not what it was talking about. This was a symbol of uh, what this is about when God is going to renew your strength. This is a symbol of ever-rising faith in your heart and spirit, that when you mount up with wings as eagles, when times get tough, your faith goes higher and higher right with it, staying above whatever the troubles are. This is what God promised. If you'll wait on him, if you'll trust in him, he will give you this kind of strength of faith to mount up like, with wings like eagles do. Get up there above it all and uh, be able to look down on it and say, yep, that's pretty tough, but it sure is good up here above all of that. And uh, God sure kept his word, and I'm thankful that he's doing that for me. And so with increasing faith in God, uh, who knows everything, so why should we not have faith in him? We don't know everything. We, we think we do sometimes, but we don't know everything. But uh, with God, he knows everything. He knows exactly what needs to be done and when it needs to be done. We just need to trust him and let him do the leading and us do the following and the obeying. And so uh, we've, we're to have faith in God who knows everything. Not only does he know everything, but uh, he owns everything. Uh, we, we like to think uh, that we own stuff. But uh, the Bible says, no, God owns it all. Uh, it said the silver, God said the silver and the gold is mine. 
So the money that I have, uh, it really isn't mine. It's God's. He lets me use it. I'm a steward of that. And uh, I can choose to use it however I want to, but uh, I need to do it, use it the way God would be pleased because it's his. It's not mine. He's just letting me be a steward of it. Everything else, he said, the cattle on a thousand hills are mine. Uh, and uh, he said, even the birds and the beasts in the forest are mine. And uh, all of this, you know, we enjoy being able to use it and uh, being able to uh, feed on it and, and all of this. We enjoy all of that, but it's not ours. It's God's. He's just such a generous Heavenly Father that he lets us have all of these and, and have the use of all of these things. Uh, not only does he... Uh, know everything and and own everything but he hears our cries and if we're in a position where we feel I'm just about to run out of strength we can go to him and he will hear our cry and he will lift us and lift our faith even higher and so this is the thing that uh, by our experience we learn that that's the thing to do is have trust in the Lord and let our faith just grow higher and higher as is needed, and he will do that in numbers of ways. One of the ways that we can experience is miracles that he does. Uh, <clears throat> I remember when I was a pastor of a church over in West Monroe years ago. We were living in the parsonage there, and, uh, and we were expecting friends to come and visit us from, I think, from over on the coast, over on the Atlantic coast. And... Uh, and there was, they were supposed to be arriving the next day, and Bobby came down with a sickness. It was either flu or virus or something, but she was feeling bad and running a fever, and she went to bed and uh, was trying to get better enough so she could get up and get prepared for all that company coming. And uh, I said, well, why don't we just call them and tell them, uh, don't come yet. We, this is not a good time. Well, she said, no, they've already left their house. They're on the way. So uh, we can't do that. And so I said, well, okay, uh, let's pray. And so I went over by her bed, <clears throat> put my hand on her forehead, and I began to pray and tell God, Lord, we got a dilemma here. We got these folks coming, and we need to prepare for them, and Bobby is sick and can't do it, and, uh, <clears throat> and I don't know anything about how to do it. <clears throat> so <laughs> so uh, I have learned some uh, here lately uh, <laughs> since Bobby's shoulder has been injured. <clears throat> But uh, anyway, as I was praying, I could feel her forehead getting cooler. And uh, <clears throat> by the time I finished my prayer, I didn't pray a real long prayer. By the time I finished, Bobby said, I feel fine now. I'm going to get up and get to work. And she did. And it was over that quick. Whatever it was, it was trying to uh, affect her and make her sick. Now, that was a miraculous thing <clears throat> that we experienced. And uh, now I've prayed for a lot of people who are sick, and it didn't happen to them. So... Um, so I could say, okay, it doesn't work then. That was just a fluke back then. No, my faith has to get, get up higher than that, uh, that God doesn't always choose to do it that way. He's got his own plan. We, I need to trust him with his plan. I'm going to pray for people that are sick. I'm going to ask for God to heal them, <clears throat> and uh, sometimes he does, and sometimes I don't see that. But that is when our faith needs to rise. Uh, <clears throat> one other time I'd like to share with you is... Uh, when I was that uh, chaplain in uh, Pearl Harbor, Hawaii. <clears throat> in our chapel congregation, we had several young couples that were expecting children, and uh, they all had, the children were born about the same time frame. And so they would come to chapel, and they'd bring their little babies with them, and, 
there was one Hispanic couple that was there in the chapel, uh, Navy people, and uh, and they had their little little baby with them, and uh, and they got to noticing that uh, all these other babies, when when their parents wave these brightly colored things and these things that rotate and all the the kids just really uh, latch on to them, want to grab them, and and uh, seem delighted to to see them and all. And our our little girl doesn't even respond to stuff like that. So they thought something's wrong here. We better take her back to the hospital and see if we can find out what the problem is. And so they took her in, and uh, and they checked her. And the optometrist doctor said she doesn't have any optic nerve. Her optic nerve didn't develop. And if it doesn't develop in the womb, it never can develop. And so you're going to have to start learning how to raise a child who is blind. Well, I heard about that, and I went to visit with them. I happened to get at their house when they were just coming back from the store, and uh, we were standing out in the front yard, and I was asking them about this, and they said, yep, that's right, that's, that's what they told us, our little girl is blind and it's going to be that way all of her life. We're going to have to train, be trained to, to know how to raise a blind child. And uh, <clears throat> I said, well, let's pray about it. And so I stood there in the yard and prayed with them and prayed for them and prayed for that little girl. I said, Lord, if you can make an optic nerve inside a woman's womb, I'm sure you could do it just outside of the woman's womb. And so I'm just asking you that if this fits into your plan, that you'd give this little girl a, a functioning optic nerve in each eye. And so I left it at that, and uh, they kept coming to chapel. They started their program of training. It happened that there was going to be an optometrist convention in Honolulu, and uh, all of the optometrists from the United States came over there for, for that convention. And the, the most, uh, the, the most uh, skillful one from up in New York City was there for that conference, that convention. And the, the military doctor happened to get to talk with him, and he was telling him about, I just recently uh, had a baby that was born that didn't have any optic nerves. And uh, he said, well, I've never seen that. Uh, could you get them to come in while I'm here in Honolulu and let me have a look at her? And so uh, he said, sure, I can set it up. So he arranged a time that they would come over to the hospital and this guy could be there and he could examine this little girl's eyes. And so it happened and he looked in there. He looked real good. He said, there's nothing wrong with her optic nerves. She's got perfect optic nerves. Well, this... <laughs> military doctor <laughs> must have felt like an idiot <laughs> uh, and I hope that that couple told him what had happened and who had made a change here that it really was he, his diagnosis was right but God intervened and gave this little girl a miraculous provision of those optic nerves now these are the kind of things that help us rise our faith up above the difficulties of life. I just wanted to share some of those things with you. Not only does that passage say that we will mount up with wings as eagles, it says we'll run and not be weary. That's talking about as we go about life that we do the very best we can in 
living our life and the things that we're given to do. We do the best we can. We put our all into it. We don't just try to do just enough to get by. I know a lot of people, that's their philosophy. Uh, don't overwork yourself. Just do enough to get by and, and get paid and, and uh, let it go with that. No, that's, this says run and not be weary. God will enable you to run and not be weary, to put the best you have into whatever it is you're doing. And, uh, and if you're doing the right things, God will bless you and he'll keep you running and not let you get weary where you'd have to quit and, and uh, cease to, to put your best into something. So he'll enable us to run and not be weary. And it's uh, <clears throat> something that uh, it's talking about not only persistence in doing the best you can, but it's perseverance against all opposition that would try to prevent you from doing your best. Uh, and, and we run into a lot of that. But here's what the Bible tells us about uh, perseverance and what it can accomplish. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, uh, we find it says, Now unto him that's able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us. And, uh, <clears throat> and that power is the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God. And so this is what we need. We need to be thirsty for the Holy Spirit of God in our lives. Because this is the way that we persist and we persevere through whatever opposition is against us, whatever discouraging things come upon us. We can, we can persevere through all of that by making sure that we're continuing to ask the Holy Spirit to fill us every day. That's a good way to start every day is ask the Holy Spirit, would you please fill me and empower me for this day so that I'll know what God wants me to do and I'll have the power to do it and uh, the wisdom to do it right. And so that's the, the second thing that that passage assures us of. And the third thing is we can walk and not faint. So it kind of goes down. Mount up with wings as eagles, run and not be weary, walk and not faint. We, it, this is a picture of patience. Patience in, uh, well, before I, I leave perseverance, there were a couple of other verses I wanted to share with you. First John uh, chapter 4 and verse 4. It said, you're of God, little children. You've overcome them. That's talking about Antichrist people. Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And so you don't have to be afraid of things like that as they develop and show up. Uh, we, can, uh, we can persevere because we've got somebody in us, the Holy Spirit, that's greater than the one that's trying to run things in the world in the wrong direction. So uh, that's a reassuring thing from the Bible. And then there's one other one, 1 Corinthians 15, 58. <clears throat> which says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. A lot of encouraging verses here in the Bible about running and not being weary. And then, of course, it comes down then to walking and not fainting. This is talking about patience in tribulation. And uh, <clears throat> there are a couple of verses that help us with this. Romans chapter 12 and verse 12, it says, we're to be rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer. That uh, we can rejoice that for the hope that's ahead of us. My, my sister Ruth is probably in the last hours or days of her life. And she was made aware of that just a couple of days ago and uh, 
And she's accepted that. She's patient with that. In fact, uh, her daughter was telling me that uh, a couple of times she saw her lifting her hands up and saying, Jesus, Jesus, like, I'm ready for you to come and get me. Uh, this is what we're talking about when we say rejoicing in hope. We know that that's what's going to be at the end of our race here on this earth. If we're believers in Jesus, we know that's what's going to happen. Uh, he's going to come and get us and take us up to his heavenly home. The best thing that, uh, that we've ever known. And uh, so that's, that's uh, talking about patience and tribulation. Uh, also, James chapter 5, verse 7 uh, tells us, Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husband waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth and has long patience for it until he receives the early and the latter rain. So uh, this is letting the Lord do it his way and in his time. That's a very important thing to remember. Don't insist, I need it now, Lord. Send it or I'm going to be mad. No, say, Lord, I need it. You do it your way, your time. I'll be happy. I know that it's going to happen. I know my prayer is going to be answered. I'm going to get whatever it is that you know I need right now. And so that's what walking and not fainting is promising us to do. Well, I just want to conclude with one other passage of Scripture from the Proverbs. This happens to be my mother's. Have, it was her favorite passage of Scripture in the Bible. Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and don't lean unto your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. And so I just would like to close with that. These are the things that will help us if we are entering into the last days. They are going to be tough. They're going to get tougher and tougher as we go into them. But we've got all of these promises all of this history about how God can handle it. He can take care of us. He can give us victory. And he can overcome anything that uh, needs to be overcome. And so uh, keep all of this in mind as we go on in the days ahead. Let's bow for prayer. And then we'll have a time of invitation. Heavenly Father, we are thankful at this Thanksgiving season that we have these wonderful verses in your Bible, that you have made us to know that we don't know everything, we don't control everything, we don't make always the right choices. But if we'll learn from what you've given us, and if we'll begin to do the things that are right, that you will bless us, and we'll be a better person because of it. So Lord, this is what we want. We want that for everyone here tonight. If there's somebody here that something is in the way in their life and they need to just say, Lord, I'm going to surrender it unto you and I'm going to turn and do it your way, then I pray that you'll lead them to come and make that commitment. And it's so much more important to do that publicly than to just do it secretly. And so, Lord, we pray that as we come to this time of invitation, is there something you want us to do? Speak to us by your Spirit. Give us that awareness that this is the time to get that straightened out. We ask for that, Lord, the work of your Spirit now in putting all this together in this gathering here tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. If God is speaking to your heart about anything and you want to tell about it and get it right, I'll be glad to be waiting down here. we got some other ministers here that can help. And uh, we just love to get 
things as straight as we possibly can for the things that we're going to be heading into in the days ahead. So if there's something you need to do, come and let us pray with you about it.